This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this month's podcast as we approach part two of the training camp of generosity. Before we do, I want to remind you, uh, coming up September 7th, and if you're getting this podcast right in the beginning of the month, that's next Thursday at seven o'clock in the evening here at Victory, John Bevere is coming with the Awe of God tour. John, along with Kim Walker-Smith, is going to come, and I've been to one of the events. I'm telling you, it is absolutely remarkable. And I I don't have enough words or language to encourage you to be here, invite people that you know, people within your church, to come and experience this time in the presence of God. It's remarkable. Uh, It's a paid event, typically, but I've asked John to come, and Victory's covering all of the costs, so it's a free event. So come and experience incredible time in God's presence with John Bevere and Kim Walker-Smith as we uh, uh, have the Awe of God tour here at, the, at Victory in Cranberry Township on Thursday, September 7th. We're, as I said, we're entering into part two of the training camp of generosity. But before we do, just let me just take a moment and listen to some clips from last month's podcast. And if you haven't listened yet, please go back and listen to last month before you go into today's content. All right, let's get right into the content for part two of the training camp of generosity. We talked about the level of pain that is involved in training. And I talked about last month how the pain that I dealt with in learning to be a giver was very difficult. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't bear that pain today because I have a true understanding of what occurs when you live this life. But I didn't know that on the front end. So again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to last month, go back, listen to that first, and then come back and listen to the conclusion. So point one was simply, there's the training camp of generosity. The second point was delving into what that training camp actually looked like, what it meant, and the pain that was involved in it, in it the discipline that and the pain that wasn't pleasant, but it ultimately would produce a harvest. And it culminated in me sharing with the harvest that I've experienced in my years of ministry is people. The third is this. Can God trust me? Can God trust me? You know, all of us think over and over again, and if you are a pastor, you've spoken over and over and over again on how to help people understand what it means to trust God. Now, we all know that learning to trust Him is absolutely critical in your relationship with Him. I mean, without faith, the Scripture says in Hebrews, it's impossible to please God. Now, but here's something I want you to consider as a leader. It is equally important or as critical to know if God can trust me. I'm going to say that again. It is equally as important or critical to know if God can trust me. Now, how I handle money is the proving ground that determines if God can trust me. I want to repeat that because it's so important. How I handle money is the proving ground that determines if God can trust me. Your divine purpose, your divine destiny, if you will, is embedded in God's ability, listen now, to trust you. Your divine purpose, your divine destiny is literally embedded 
in this simple fact, this simple statement. Does God trust you? Does God trust me? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus brings us into this concept in a way that is just remarkable. And let me read it to you. In Luke 16, in verse 10, Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever is untrustworthy with very little will also be untrustworthy with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, I want to read that again. If, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will then trust you with true riches? I want you to see that Jesus distinguishes worldly wealth and true riches. They're not the same thing. So in this context, worldly wealth is that which is little. True riches is that which is much. So I'll read that again with that in, embedded. So if you, in verse 11, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or that which is little, who will trust you with true riches or that which is much? And if you have not been trustworthy, I want you to see God's trusting you over and over again. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, mark that in your soul, someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Even the, that which you own, listen, he's saying you're a servant, you're a steward, you're not a full owner, you are serving the owner. Listen now. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. This is the son of God. It's definitive. You cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. How I handle money or that which is little is the proving ground to see if God will trust me with people or that which is much. Let me say that one more time. How I handle money or that which is little is the proving ground to see if God will trust me with people or that which is much. The Bible refers to people as the precious fruit of the earth. God's word defines people of this earth as the object of, of, of God's love the object of the sacrifice of Jesus. Not people that love God, people that hate him, people that, were, that are lost without him. That while we were yet dead in our sins and trespass, he, Ephesians says, Christ died for the ungodly. Faithful in little is how you handle God's money. Faithful in much is how you handle God's people. Now there's a key here. Are you trustworthy in handling someone else's property? Now, everything I have is God's. I mean, that's pretty obvious. No one owns anything. It's clear that there are, uh, there are no U-Hauls that travel behind hearses. You take nothing with you. Everything you have is temporary. Everything you have is just, it's yours for just a little while to steward. But God says this word, 
He says, are you trustworthy with what belongs to another? Let's go back from last month of the three kinds of, of financial giving or disciplines, if you will, that every individual should be a part of and every church leader should consider bringing their church into that perspective. The tithe, the offerings, and giving to the poor. If you know the Bible, you know the tithe is one-tenth, not any tenth, but the first tenth of all of your increase, and that the tithe belongs to God. So tithing isn't giving. If you read Malachi, tithing just simply means you're not stealing. Tithing means that the first dime of every dollar isn't mine, so I don't steal it. I don't consume it on my own needs. Listen, I don't trust it. What I do with the money that belongs to God tells me who I serve. Do I serve God or do I serve money? Do I trust God? Do I trust money? I've learned in pastoring people that people have greater faith in a dime of every dollar than the God of the universe because they choose the dime over God. Tithing has nothing to do with money. Offerings have nothing to do with money. Giving to the poor has nothing to do with money. God calls the tithe his. He calls offering seeds that are sown that will cause people to redound in thanksgiving to God. And what God says to the man or woman who gives to the poor, he said, those who give to the poor lend to the Lord and he will not be slack to repay you. People are the precious fruit of the earth. They are the object of his love. And when I learn to be faithful in God's money, that which is little, he will then be able to trust you or to be faithful with much that is people. Someone else's property. If God can trust me with what belongs to him in the tithe, what he calls out of my heart in offerings, what he asks of me in partnership in giving to the poor, then he can trust me with people. If you're single and you're dating a Christian or you're looking to date and marry a Christian, and and if you're a Christian, that would be a good move. Can I tell you one thing I would want to know? Do they tithe? Do they take from what belongs to God for their own well-being? Because here's what I know. A man or a woman who will take from God for their own benefit will take from their spouse. A man or a woman who takes from God will take from the people they serve. And it isn't even willful. It isn't that they wake up and say, I'm going to be, I'm going to act in a way that's just wrong. It's that their heart has been trained, that they don't trust in God, they trust in themselves. And what God is saying, can I trust you with someone else's property? I want to take you into a 28-year bookend experience. And I'm going to tell you a story that is just remarkable to me. And, and how this started for me and how 28 years later, this experience was bookended by God. One of the benefits of listening to people that uh, have a lot of years under their belt is, number one, you can learn from their multitude of mistakes. I think my greatest virtue and value to people is not the wisdom I have, but the mistakes I've made that God has helped me to recover from. But, you know, on top of that, it's this, is that sometimes 
the school that we develop in in Christ takes decades. And when you get the opportunity to learn from someone who has a 28-year experience that can be narrowed down to just a, a few minutes, it's, such, it's so precious. It's why I constantly listen to podcasts and messages from other people, because I know how much I'm gaining. I'm getting sometimes decades of life in a 20-minute message. And so what I'm about to tell you, I, I don't want you to listen just to the story. I want you to listen to what God was trying to show me and teach me. So let me take you back about 28 years ago. Uh, Victory in October of this year, 2023, will be 30 years old. In about our second year in or so, we had uh, we were meeting in a cinema world in a in a in a movie theater. Second, third year in, we acquired property, and we we didn't have any money. It's a long story, and. And I knew we were, I knew it was God's plan to do it. And because of living in the faith of generosity, I had the, the confidence in the development and the training camp, if you will, to walk by faith to receive. And so we were to build our first building, and it was a 15,000 square foot metal building. It's still being used today, and uh, now the third church is in there, and it thrills me that God's kingdom is still being used in that building. The architect we hired, uh, we asked him to design the building to be able to be constructed for $750,000. And so he supposedly did that. We put it out to bid. When the bids came back, they came back. The lowest one was $1.4 million. He was off by 100%. I was devastated. Look, we didn't have $750,000. It was... It might as well have been a billion dollars when it doubled. And I was so, number one, I was angry because when I spoke to the architect, his answer was, well, it was only an estimate, which made me, honestly, thank God it was over the phone because I probably would have done time for assault and repented later. I I was so overwhelmed. Two or three days went by that I was just in in this despair. Uh, I called it prayer, but it really wasn't. I just would worry out loud and just say Jesus on the back end of my worrying. And that's when I was just complaining. God, I, I told you I, I'm not smart enough to do this. I told you, I told you that you should have called someone else to do this. I knew I'd mess this up. And, and I, I could go on and on about that, that prayer. But then after I stopped complaining two, three days in, I had an experience with God that uh, honestly changed the way I do everything to this day. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in that darkness, and here's what he said to me in essence. Don't ever ask me about money again. I didn't die for money. I died for people. And if you had any concept at how much I love people, you would laugh at $750,000. And that simple revelation that touched my heart really brought a sense of shame to me. And I thought of the scripture that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us everything we need? And I began to think, somehow I'm thinking I have to convince God to build a silly building when he gave his son. It's not that we don't handle money well. It's not that we don't strategically spend money. 
It's that I never ask money for permission first. I ask God, what is your will? What are you asking us to do? And I don't care what it costs. Now, we'll do it as frugally and as wisely as possible. But I thought I needed money's permission to act. And I saw that day that the training camp of giving prepared me to walk by faith, to simply say, let God be true and every man a liar. And in the, in the midst of that type of misery of how is this ever going to work, I got up out of that depression and kept walking and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And to this day, in the, I don't know, $28 million worth of buildings and property the Victory owns, plus, I've never prayed about money since. Now, I want, here's the bookend to that experience, though. Now, we have one of our campuses in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And it started three weeks before COVID. And it was a phenomenal launch. And then COVID hit three weeks in and we had to shut it down. And so Newcastle has existed for a little over three years. And they need a building. We have a campus in Meadville that's going to need a building. Our team had discovered a building that's available in Newcastle, and we're still doing due diligence on this building. And the team said, okay, we think this is one that you really need to look at. So the leadership team went up, and we went and we walked through this building. And it's a great building, and we're doing all the due diligence, as I literally am speaking today to you. So I don't know what the outcome will be of the building. And as we walked through the building, I heard our team, and it's not their fault. They were doing their job saying, well, I think we can make this room work for this and, well, and, and trying to fit into this building. And, and it wasn't going to be enough, but well, I think we could make it work. And, 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 and inside me, I thought, wait, wait, this isn't what we do. We don't do that. We don't try to make God's plan fit into a building. We make a building fit into God's plan. And so we all got out in the parking lot after gathered together. And I kind of went into that just a little bit that, uh, hey, we're going to need X, Y, and Z if, if this building's going to work. And then one of our team, uh, and, and this is good, I don't, I don't want you to misinterpret this. They weren't saying this in a way that it should have made me angry. They were just saying something almost jokingly. Said, are you going to raise the funds for all of that? And they weren't saying it the way that sounds. It, it was more almost like a joke. But inside it, 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 it enraged me. I thought, wait a minute, I'm not a fundraiser. I'm a faith raiser. It's not my job. I can't raise, what am I? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't build anything, but I can obey. So we had our leadership meeting, our team meeting, uh, a couple of days after. And I pulled our team together, and I, and I told them what I experienced. And I said, we will build this and this and this and this because that's what it needs. Newcastle is a depressed area financially if you know the Pittsburgh area, but Cranberry Township is not. And I said, Cranberry Township will not have children's facilities and young adult facilities and youth facilities better than Newcastle because Newcastle is an area that's poor. We are either going to go there and do the will of God or we'll shut it down and we will build exactly what's needed to use as a tool to see a church explode in Newcastle, a campus. And the team was fully on board. Now, the next week, Tuesday morning, I have the bookend experience. Now, I've only had 
I think three, two, three dreams that have meant anything that had any spiritual connotation to them. And here's what happened. I woke up Tuesday morning. This is in May. And I'm reading a scripture in my dream where Jesus saw the fields that were white with harvest. And, and he said they were like sheep harassed and helpless. And he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. Then I found these words as I woke up coming out of my mouth that Jesus did not say to pray for money. He said to pray for laborers, and I wrote it down. Then these words were coming out of my mouth. And actually, I wrote it down after I said all these things. First, Jesus didn't say pray for money. He said pray for laborers. And then this was the book in Revelation. Remember in the beginning, don't ever ask me about money again. I didn't die for money. He said some laborers are called to do the work of ministry, children's youth, uh, usher, greeter, worship, fill in the blank. And there are some laborers I will raise up to purchase the implements of harvest. Please hear this. There are some laborers that I will raise up who will purchase the implements of harvest. They're going to buy the combiner, the machinery that's expensive. They're going to buy the buildings. Though he told me to not pray for money, he said, what you have not, I didn't understand, and this took 28 years, is pray that God will raise up the laborer that he's called to do their financial part. That's very different than praying for money. Now, let me tell you the back end, the, the last part of the story. That was on a Tuesday. The following weekend, it actually fit the message I was sharing, and I told the experience. Now, sitting in the congregation, we have a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service on Sunday morning. Sitting in the service at 11 o'clock was a couple who had a check in their pocket. Who This is such an incredible thing that God's done. They're sitting there. Service is over. They find Pastor Steve Moore and said, hey, can we meet with you and Pastor John briefly? He tracked me down, and I just said, hey, you know, what's up? And she told me her story. She said, uh, when I first came to Victory, I was a single mom. In fact, I, I was raised in a pastor's home. And, and she said, when I, got, I grew up, I kind of walked away from God. I got married. Marriage fell apart, got divorced. I have two children. And I'm a single mom and I'm unemployed. I was talking to my kids one day about mentioning Jesus. My youngest said, well, who's he? And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I thought, well, I better get these kids in church. She said, but I, I'd been in your building before and I knew you had these great children's facilities. So I said, well, I can bring them there. And so she came and just brought her kids. She said, I go into the main sanctuary, not because I wanted to go to church, but just I was waiting, you know, for my kids. She said, while there. It was actually the weekend that John Bevere was speaking on the weekend. She said, God absolutely rocked my life. And I gave my life back to Christ. And I began to walk with God with all my heart. I began to understand the word. I began to tithe. And, and she said, now this is, a, she now is getting a job. But he, she's tithing whatever she has. Because she sees it's what you do when you, when you put God first. Then... She says, I had a car, this, and, I, and I forget, it's a really cool car, but I'm not good with cars. And it was sitting in the garage, and the Holy Spirit dealt with me, sell that and put the money into the kingdom. Sell that treasure and lay it up 
in eternity. And she said, I did it. Now she's working for a company. Now, mind you, unemployed single mom. That company just recently, and I don't understand the whole story. Uh, didn't talk to them in enough detail to understand how it all worked. But evidently, she, the company she became a part of, uh, she got in on the ground floor of it. And, she, and, and evidently, they sold it. And she was given a portion of the sale. So she comes up to me. Now, mind you, this is as I'm that week before telling our team that we will do this. If this is the building, we're going to do it. And we will, pay, we will pay cash for it. Now, do you have the cash? No, we didn't have the money. We don't have any of the money put back for it. And, uh, <laughs> and she pulls out a, a, a check. And she said, this is the tithe of that, of that sale that came to us. And it was a check for just under $1.6 million. And the first thing she did was tithe it and bring it into the kingdom. And what, I had a dream on Tuesday and on Monday. Jesus brought one of those laborers that were called to implement and buy the implements of harvest. And if everything works through with the building, we're probably 70% able to pay for everything right now. Now, here's what I want you to see as I conclude this. There is a training camp of generosity. It is not a have to, it is a get to. And on the back end of that training, the scripture says there is a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace. And if you're a leader, you are meant to multiply the kingdom of God in whatever sphere of influence you have. So my prayer for you is that you will submit your life, not just to a place to where you learn to be generous and to be a tither and a giver and a giver of the poor, but you will do so in such a way as that you will grow in confidence to know that God who has now entrusted you with little can now trust you with much. And he can multiply the impact of your life to have an eternal impact beyond your own problems being solved, your own needs being met. So it's my prayer as we meet together and I, and I do my very best to expose you to some amazing people with ex- amazing insights that you'll keep growing as a leader always with your eye on the one who gave the greatest gift ever. Not money, he gave his life, Jesus. He's our example. So my prayer for you is that you'll take those steps boldly and multiply the kingdom of God and get on the other side of the training camp of generosity to the place where you truly experience a great harvest, a great harvest of righteousness and peace, not just for you, but for our generation. God bless you. Look forward to talking to you next month. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.